listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Okay, now is the time for the scripture reading. (laughs) It's Exodus 16, uh, verses 22 through 31. On the sixth day, the Israelites gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And all that is left over, put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you, will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Good morning, everyone. This was Jan's idea. Just thinking. It's good. I'm gonna get everything ready. There we go. Okay. Just need like a towel for my face. That'd be it. <clears throat> so um, we're in the midst of this new teaching series um, that's called Sabbath Economics. We kicked it off um, last week, and we're we're looking at some of the economic and stewardship principles of ancient Israel. Um, last week we looked at manna in the wilderness, which there's some overlap between the two passages from this week and last. And the gift of manna in the wilderness is what really begins this process of God rewiring the imaginations of the Israelites, taking them out of slavery and moving them from a mindset of scarcity to abundance. We talked last week about how most economic systems are based on the idea that you'll never have enough. And so the goal is to manage that scarcity as best you can to try to keep society from falling apart. But with this gift of manna, bread literally falling from heaven, God gives the Israelites and us a new template, that of stewarding abundance. God has already provided all that we need. All we need to do is be faithful in stewarding it. That was last week's message, and if you missed that, I'd highly recommend go on our website and listen to it, because it's pretty foundational to everything that's going to come in the next four or five weeks. But today we're going to stick with this manna story for one more week, and we're going to look at a second major economic idea that comes out of this, and that's the practice of Sabbath, taking one day a week and doing no work. Now, we've looked at the practice of Sabbath before. Um, We talked about this back when we were looking at the opening chapters of Genesis, We touched on the seventh day of creation, when God rests, when God stops from all of God's work in creation. And we're going to talk about Sabbath again today. 
When we look at the Bible, we find a lot of different commandments. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of regulations, especially in the Old Testament. And there are some rules that we still follow today. They stand for all time. And there are other rules that were very culturally specific. Rules that were for the Israelites at a certain time and place that we no longer hold to today. Like, no one's really tripping over eating shellfish anymore. Except for Joni, because she's allergic. <clears throat> but other than that, we're pretty cool with, self, with shellfish. But thou shalt not murder is still one we stick to, right? That's still pretty important, except for Joni. Just, just kidding. Don't kill anybody, Joni. <clears throat> and when it comes to Sabbath, this is one command that we have the tendency to stick in the no longer important category. How many people have heard of the Ten Commandments, just like a show of hands? Almost everybody. That's fantastic. Yeah, the Ten Commandments are pretty famous. They made it into a Charlton Heston movie. Uh, so they're pretty well known. They're basically the backbone of the Old Testament law. As a pastor, if I broke one of the Ten Commandments, I would probably lose my job. Like, thou shalt have no other gods before me. If I brought like a statue of Baal in here one Sunday and let us all in a, in a sacrifice to Baal, I would get fired, uh, and rightfully so. Um, thou shalt not steal. If I was stealing, if I was taking money from the church treasury, I'd be gone. Don't commit adultery. If I had an affair, I'd get fired. You get the idea. But as a pastor, if I violate the commandment about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, if I violate that one enough, I might get a raise. That's good. That's good. People would talk about how hard I work how I'm always in my office, I'm always so available, even on my days off. It's the one commandment we break all the time. We don't really have ten commandments in the church anymore. We more like have nine commandments and one suggestion. And it's Sabbath that's really fallen off the edge, which is a shame because Sabbath is, is arguably the first commandment. Now, when you look at the list of the commandments in our Bibles, which it's in like Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, where the Ten Commandments are listed, Sabbath is usually listed fourth. It's usually fourth out of ten. But the Sabbath command doesn't originate in the Ten Commandments. Way before the Israelites reached Mount Sinai, they were instructed to practice Sabbath right here in the manna story. Exodus 16, a full four chapters before we get to the Ten Commandments. So it really is the first commandment. The Israelites have just escaped slavery in Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea, that was like a chapter and a half ago. And God brings this nation of escaped slaves out to the wilderness, and the very first commandment God gives them is to rest. Take one day a week and do no work. Now, why would God do that to a nation of escaped slaves, do you think? connecting the dots? For 400 years, these people are slaves to Pharaoh, imprisoned in this system where your value as a human being lies in what you can produce, what you can make, how many bricks you can build. And the Sabbath breaks them away from all that. Take one day a week to remember that you are a human being, not a human doing. Take one day a week to remember that your value doesn't lie in what you produce. It lies in the fact that you are a child of God. 
How many of us are trapped in a system of building bricks for Pharaoh? Every day, having to perform, jump through hoops, prove our value. I looked up some statistics on work in America. I'm going to share them with you. And just a, um, a warning, trigger warning, they're pretty disheartening. <clears throat> We've all heard of the 40-hour work week, right, where the idea is you do like five, eight-hour days a week. That's not a reality for most Americans. <clears throat> 86% of men and 67% of women work over 40 hours a week. One-third of all Americans work over 45 hours a week. And 9.7 million Americans work over 60 hours a week. Our average workday on the, on the weekdays is eight and a half hours. Not too bad. That's pretty close to what it's supposed to be. And on the weekends, it's five and a half hours. That's Saturday and Sunday. That means today, the average American worker is putting in about five and a half or six hours. We're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have a maximum length to the work week that's like imposed. We're one of the only ones that doesn't set that, like no more than X number of hours in a week. We're the only industrialized country without a national paid parental leave program. That's something to give new parents time off paid after they have kids. We're also one of the only countries in the world without mandated sick pay, and we are the only industrialized nation with no mandated vacation pay. It's in the right order. <clears throat> we are massively overworked. That's what I see in this data. And the effects are killing us. We know that, right? Like we have higher stress levels, higher rates of depression, obesity, stroke, hypertension. We sleep less. Average American sleeps like six and a half hours a night, which is way lower than most other countries. The, uh, the recommendation is at least eight. And we also see much higher rates of depression in children. In part because probably parents have to work so much, but also because I think a lot of us have taken the unrealistic work expectations we have for ourselves and we've put them on kids. And then we see declining participation in like communal organizations, churches, bowling leagues, uh, community groups, you name it, because we're all working. If there's any false idol in our country, and there are probably many, but if there's one that like everyone is giving into, even many Christians, it's the idol of productivity. Finding value in what we produce. We're a nation full of workers building bricks for Pharaoh, and it's killing us. But then right here in the Bible, we have this practice, this subversive commandment that is specifically designed to cure us from the addiction to work. A command that's intended to rewire our imaginations and affirm our dignity. You are a human being. You have inherent worth as a child of God. Don't listen to Pharaoh. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for you were once a slave in the land of Egypt. That's one half of Sabbath. Don't listen to Pharaoh. Don't believe the lie that you are what you produce. 
That's the first step in this command, but there is a second part to Sabbath that is equally important, and you have to skip ahead a bit in your Bibles to see it. So we're going to jump to the book of Deuteronomy, kind of bring this full picture. We've been looking at manna in the wilderness, which is Exodus 16. That's the very beginning of the Israelites' 40-year journey through the wilderness, and Deuteronomy comes at the end of that journey. Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to the Israelites before they enter the promised land. And a a lot of the book is kind of restating what was said in the other laws and stuff like Exodus and Leviticus. And in Deuteronomy 5, we find the restatement of the Ten Commandments. And the Sabbath command, which is already up there on the screens, is worth highlighting. Starting in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's pretty straightforward. We even have a callback at the end to slavery in Egypt. That's a nice touch. But when I read this, I notice something that seems a little out of place. You might have picked up on it too. The Sabbath command applies to everybody. The Israelites, foreigners, livestock, and oh, slaves. Your male and female slaves so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. You guys, the Israelites have slaves. This is a nation of escaped slaves. They were delivered 40 years ago, and they already have slaves of their own. And it gets way worse. So like in a couple centuries, the Israelites are going to go from here, they're going to go into the land, they're going to settle. And in a couple centuries, King Solomon is going to come along. King Solomon, great king. He was David's son, wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon builds a temple to the God of Israel, the God who rescues slaves. And Solomon builds that temple using slave labor. A nation of escaped slaves building a temple to the God who rescued them from slavery using slaves. Can you say irony? (laughs) Right? So hypocritical, right? So ironic. It's unimaginable. That would almost be like, now try to imagine this. It's a little far-fetched, but let's, let's play an imagination game. Imagine a nation of immigrants that got a little antsy about immigration, tightened immigration restrictions, kept away refugees, started scapegoating immigrants. Could you imagine a nation of immigrants doing that? That would be, that would be insane. Yeah. So the first goal of Sabbath is to get us to stop listening to Pharaoh. The second goal is to make sure we don't become Pharaoh. 
don't be like Pharaoh. Remember the Sabbath. Remember that you were slaves once too. And so you'd better value the dignity of all people. Don't you ever embrace the same kind of exploitative practices that you were once subjected to. If we give into a mindset of scarcity, it won't just affect us and our work. It'll affect everyone. But if we learn to steward abundance, if we take some of this stuff hidden in books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy seriously and actually implemented it, that just might change the world. So we've got the two halves of Sabbath. With the time we have left today, I want to talk about what this looks like practically. I want to address some practical questions, because this is all still kind of a little abstract. We're talking like 3,500 years ago. Let's address some common questions that I've received whenever I talk about Sabbath that um, can help give this a little bit of flesh, if that's okay. The first question is totally economical, and it's how can the poor practice Sabbath? This is a really good question. What are poor people supposed to do? Doesn't the command to keep the Sabbath sort of assume a certain level of privilege? Doesn't it assume you can actually afford to take one day off of work per week? What about a single mom who's working 60 to 80 hours a week to support her kids? What is she supposed to do? And I want to say something here that should be obvious. It's not to a lot of people, and so I need to say it. A single mom shouldn't have to work 60 to 80 hours a week to support her kids. There's something askew in a system like that. That's a social problem. And in a country with as many Christians as America has, that's a spiritual problem too. See, when you read the Old Testament law, which I know we do like every day, right? We're always reading through Leviticus. The Sabbath pops up over and over again. It's the strangest thing. Leviticus 19, all the holiness laws, the laws that are supposed to separate Israel off as a special type of people, as God's people, that chapter opens and closes with the Sabbath. Whenever you see laws about the poor or economic justice, things like that pop up in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is sprinkled in there for some reason. If the poor can't keep Sabbath... That's a good indication that something has gone wrong in society. And if the rich don't keep Sabbath, if like the upper classes and the middle classes don't keep Sabbath, then the poor will never get to keep Sabbath. So I don't often hold up Chick-fil-A as an example to follow. They're a fast food restaurant, and I've got some pretty big issues with some of their politics and how they invest some of their money and things like that. But when it comes to Sabbath, Chick-fil-A actually gets it right. Every Chick-fil-A restaurant in the country is closed on Sundays. Every single one. And that's in order to um, ensure that every single one of their employees gets a day off. And that decision costs Chick-fil-A over a billion dollars in profits per year. I think last year it was 1.2 billion dollars by closing one day a week. Imagine if more companies took a stance like that. Imagine if companies like Walmart or McDonald's or any place that tends to employ people 
decided to close their doors one day a week to give up a seventh of their profits just to make sure their employees had a day off. Imagine if every Christian in our country, and we're talking like 240 million people roughly, imagine if we all took one day a week and refused to do anything that caused someone else to work. That means one day a week, no shopping, no spending, no online ordering, no scheduling appointments, no patronizing an establishment where people have to serve you or clean up after you, just one day a week. It might crash our economy. That's the the trade-off there. But if we did that, we'd actually be practicing Sabbath. And the poor would get a Sabbath, too. So that's the first question. A second practical question related to Sabbath, and this is an important one, too. What if I'm retired or live alone? This is huge. For people who are single or widowed, or folks who struggle with loneliness. The idea of taking a Sabbath can be kind of terrifying. It can feel very isolating and lonely, like you have to lock yourself in your house for another day. But it doesn't have to be. So you don't have to spend the Sabbath day separated from people. In fact, the Sabbath was made for community. If you go back to Genesis, those opening chapters, God creates human beings on day six. And then on day seven, God rests. So the first thing human beings and God do together is they rest. Welcome to earth, check the place out, take a day off. The Sabbath is built for community. So if you live alone, make the Sabbath day a day to really engage in community. Invite some friends over to practice Sabbath with you. Cook a huge meal and enjoy it together. Go for a walk. Listen to music. Do whatever it is that makes you feel alive. And invite other people to join you. And that leads right into this next question. Last question. What am I supposed to do on the Sabbath? Whenever I talk about Sabbath, I usually get this question. And I've got to say, this is the most American question ever, right? What am I supposed to do on the Sabbath? It's kind of like asking, but what am I supposed to eat when I'm fasting, right? Like, it's, it's a little, it's a very American question. The first answer, this is radical, is nothing. Try to incorporate the practice of doing nothing. Maybe sit in a comfortable chair, lie in your bed, take a few minutes, maybe an hour, and just be. Learn to be comfortable with stillness. Turn off your phones, anything that rings or beeps, and just exist for a little while in silence. You see what I'm doing? Worship is another good practice for Sabbath. We'll stop the silence. I know that's uncomfortable. But worship is another good thing, so you could practice the Sabbath on Sunday. This could be your day of rest, and you kick it off with a bunch of people praising God. That's a good way to start Sabbath. You could take some time on Sabbath to pray or to read your Bible. You could go for a walk or meditate, anything that makes you feel closer to God. That is a great thing to do on Sabbath. And beyond that, do the kind of stuff I talked about in that last question. 
Find community. Spend time with your family or your friends. Cook a big meal. Go for a walk. Get outside. Do something that makes you feel alive, that reminds you what it's like to be human when you're not working. It'll be hard to incorporate this stuff, so maybe start with like one morning or one evening a week to practice Sabbath and stick to it and build from there. Maybe eventually you'll hit a full day. And as you do it more and more, just try to be in that Sabbath and see how it affects the rest of your week. In a world where it can feel like we are enslaved to a never-ending demand for more, for productivity, the Sabbath is a call to freedom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath. Thank you for the weekly invitation to stillness, worship, community, and rest. Help us to practice Sabbath, Lord, and empower us to do it boldly. Let it be a countercultural statement where we say no to the demand for more and center ourselves on the fact that our value lies in you. Give us rest, Lord. And may our practice of Sabbath become an opportunity for rest for all creation. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.